Tonight we're starting a new series on prayer. Uh, it's, it's going to be a 12-part series. I, I, stood, I, I did it last time. I st- stayed to the 12 times that I said it was going to be in the book of Job, and we covered the entire book of Job in 12 times. So uh, that's what we're planning to do today, because there's 12 apostles and 12 tribes, right? So it makes sense. It's not. It's just 12 because it is 12 um, and we're going to start tonight, um, well, well, throughout the series, we're going to specifically look at Paul's prayers. So it's a, it's a, in a sense, a Pauline theology of prayer and a Pauline practice of prayer as we go through these 12, uh, uh, 12 lessons. Next week, Nick is going to be teaching the lesson, lesson number two so that we have continuity on, on that as well, and he's going to address one of those texts in Paul's epistles that speak about prayer. And prayer is a gift that the Lord has given to us. The, uh, the Puritans used to say that the, the very act of praying is a mercy in and of itself, even if we never get an answer from our prayers. And yet it is often neglected, a neglected gift. Uh, we tend not to pray the thing is that without prayer, without true prayer, there is no spiritual growth. You will not grow in Christ unless you're praying. And that's just a reality. And so if you say, oh, I don't pray, I'm just fine, you are not really aware of your own heart. Uh, so this series will be a bit of a call to spiritual reformation. And uh, to be very honest about this, I decided to teach on prayer because my own prayer life needs revival and reformation, which we're kind of following a, a trend here, right? I did the book of Job because I was uh, trying to prepare ourselves for suffering and the potential things in, with my own family. Now we're going to talk about prayer because I need that. <laughs> and the only way for me to study things that I'm interested in is if I teach on it. Just time-wise. So I try to kind of mix uh, things that way. And I thought that we all could benefit from it as well as we look at it. So we'll be enlisting the help of uh, D.A. Carson as we go through this. Now, he's not going to be here teaching, but we're going to use one of his books to, as the major outline that we're going to use for the 12 uh, Lessons. Uh, the, the, originally it came out as uh, the title is A Call to Spiritual Reformation Priorities from Paul and His Prayers I'm assuming that uh, it didn't sell super well because it's a very long title so they retitled it and now it's just called Praying with Paul <laughs> So uh, and then as a subtitle A Call to Spiritual Reformation now we're going to do things a little backwards you know how series goes or even sermons you start with the theory part you lay out the foundation, and then you go to the to practice. We're going to do it backwards. Tonight is going to be all about the practice of praying. Like, almost like a how-to list. And then we're going to um, firm that up from the writings of Paul as we go on. Now, these things are not thus as the Lord. They're suggestions. They are, uh, most of them are implied in the scriptures and suggested also by mature saints that have gone before us. Those have been called prayer warriors. But they're suggestions that might be helpful for you, but it doesn't mean that if you're not doing them that you are sinning against the Lord. 
I'd like to start by, us turn, by our turning to Matthew chapter 6. And as we go through our lesson tonight, time allowing, I would love to hear from you what practical suggestions you have for praying, for praying prayer, prayerful prayers. That's how to use a, a Puritan expression. Now, for some reason, the color scheme in my screen is different than the color scheme screen on this screen. So you can't really read all the words up there on this particular slide. It just says, Lessons from the School of Prayer. That's what the title says. And let us read Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5. And when you pray, so notice, when you pray, not if you pray. So Jesus assumes that we are going to be praying. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. I surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, this is not a prohibition to public prayer. The prohibition for public prayer is prohibiting public prayer that's prayed to be heard by men. Right? Because Jesus prayed aloud in public. Paul prayed aloud in public. So that's not the prohibition that we see here. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive them their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So it's clear that our Lord wants us to pray. So that's, that's something that we have to keep in mind. Uh, Jesus is not nonchalant towards prayer. He wants his people to pray. So tonight, let me give you eight suggestions that may help us to become more engaged in prayer. All right? The first one is this. Much praying is not done because we do not plan to pray. We think that prayer just happens. The problem is that we do not drift into spiritual life. We're not just, if we're just going about life, kind of drifting around, we're not going to find ourselves, whoa, wow, I'm so much more spiritual now that I was just drifting. Now, our spiritual life has to be a, purpose, a purposeful, intentional life. And we will not grow in, our, in prayer unless we plan to pray. And we must be self-conscious uh, about it. We must self-consciously set aside time to pray and to do nothing but pray. Not mow the lawn and pray, not drive and pray, not whatever and pray. Those are all things we can do, but we need to self-consciously set up a time where we pray. Period. Just that. 
Now we can we can we can proclaim our commitment to prayer till the cows come home, but if we don't actually pray, our actions or the lack thereof disown our words. So set up, set times for prayer to ensure that vague desires for prayer actually become concrete praying. Now you don't have to say it aloud, but just the question is fair. Do you have a time? In your life cycle, in your daily schedule, where you're set aside to pray. The Apostle Paul often referred to his prayers in his epistles. Well, like I pray this prayer for you, or my prayer for you is suggesting that he set aside specific times for prayer. You see that in Romans chapter 1, you see that in Ephesians chapter 1, you see that in Thessalonians chapter 1. Jesus himself seemed to have been in the habit of setting a time to pray. We often read, you can look at Luke chapter 5, for example, where he spent all night praying, and in Mark, in the parallel passage, as it was his custom, he went to pray. It is true that just having a regular time to pray will not ensure that the effect of praying take place, takes place, but it's a great start. <laughs> you know? Just because it doesn't ensure it's going to happen doesn't mean that you don't do it. It is also true that different lifestyles demand different patterns. For example, a shift worker may not, you know, especially the type of shift worker that you work days for a certain amount of time, then you work you know, swing for, for a certain amount of time, then you work even a certain amount of time. It, he or she won't be able to keep specific hour every day. But even the shift worker can figure out a way where praying is part of his or her daily life cycle. A mom of young twins, for example. I was thinking of Sarah Thomas with uh, you know, Jack and, and Jill, no, Maggie, uh, and the, the twins, three and a half or four now, four and younger. Uh, it's difficult to have the time and uh, it's even more difficult to have the energy, right, to set a time. But even then, you know, it's a uh, priority that we have to have there. However difficult... The fact remains that unless we plan to pray, we will not pray. So wise planning will ensure that we devote ourselves to prayer often, even for, even for a brief amount of time. Now, if you are not used to praying and you say, tomorrow I'm going to pray for a whole hour, don't. You're not. You're just going to get frustrated, and that's not going to happen. So you're not, if you're not used to praying, if you're not used to have a time, set up a few minutes to pray there. Now, it is better to pray often with brevity than rarely, but at length. But it's even worse to never pray, because that's not what a Christian does. Secondly, adopt practical ways to prevent mental drift. Have you ever experienced mental drift while praying? <laughs> you know, for the pastoral prayer in the morning, when I say let's pray, I, I think it's code where, at least when I was in your place, it was code word for let, let your mind go in a thousand different directions, right? And, or if you're sleepy, is that you, you just sit there, please let me hear the amen, please let me hear the amen so that I can open my eyes, right? And not be embarrassed, um, just keep on, on sleeping there. Now, everyone who prays is familiar with the mind drift during prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to, of coming into your presence by the blood of Christ. It is a wonderful blessing to call your Father, 
Oh, I wonder where I left my car keys. No, no, no. Back to praying. Heavenly Father, I begin by asking that you watch over my family. Boy, that sermon was bad last Sunday. Uh, I wonder if, I, if I'll get that report done this week. Oh, no, no. Back to prayer. Father, give real fruitfulness to that missionary couple we support, whatever their name is. Oh, my. I almost forgot I'm supposed to pick the dry cleaning today. And that's often how the prayers go, right? So let's figure out strategies in which we can keep that mental drift from happening. One of the most useful ways to prevent this from happening is to vocalize your prayers. That is, pray with words. Actually, not just in your head, but pray with words. You may be called crazy or drunk like Hannah was in 1 Samuel. Right? Remember when she was praying in the, in, in the tabernacle? Her lips were moving and sounds were coming out, but uh, Eli couldn't quite figure out what she was saying, so he assumed that she was, a drunk, uh, she was drunk. But pray aloud. Or oh, another way is, is to write your prayers. They actually take the time to write anything. Oh, that's weird. Well, if, if Saint Sobold had not done that, we would not have the wealth of prayers that we have uh, today. A list also offers a visual reminder of what you are doing, right? So that you can actually look at it and, and see what you're doing. Adam? Is that you? Titus? What are you doing? He's preparing a prayer list. That's what he's doing. Thirdly, if possible, develop a prayer partner relationship to improve your prayers. Doug Lim and I, way back when, we almost every other day we used to go to the river, to the to the river, and pray to the Squally River. We'd park by the river in the evening and would pray for a while uh, there. And those were sweet times of prayer. And your prayer partner may change as you go on with life. Now, if you're married, you must definitely pray with your wife. So if you're married here and you're not praying with your wife, there's something not right in that relationship. So it's a good, a good measure there. So pray with your spouse if you're married. And if you're, if you're established prayer, not prayer, but established prayer, one that prays, Maybe you could seek someone that could use your help in establishing his or her prayer life and partner with that person. And vice versa, if you're a person who's not used to praying and you know they're prayer warrior saints, go to them and see if you can establish a a praying uh, relationship, a partner relationship with them. Are we okay? Does it make sense so far? Number four, choose models. Right, if, you, if, you, if you don't know how to pray, remember what, uh, how we end up with the Lord's Prayer? At least in, in, in the way that Luke tells us. The disciples came to Jesus and said, John is teaching his disciples to pray. Would you t- teach us to pray as well? And the Lord gave him, a mo- gave him a model. Not necessarily something that has to be repeated as is, but gives us categories in which to pray. Most of us can improve our praying by carefully and, th- and thoughtfully listening to other prayers. Have you ever paid attention to that? Uh, I think we've been trained in American Christianity that, at least in our circles, the more, more fundamentalist and then Reformed circles, that the service on the Lord's Day is the sermon and a pregame ritual. 
as if what we're doing before the sermon is just to occupy time till we get to the time for the sermon. And it's not. The prayers that are being said are as, as worship to the Lord as a sermon or as the Lord's Supper. So we can improve by listening to prayers that are said around us. Written prayers of saints gone by can be very helpful as well. I've, I, must have buy, I must have bought 10 or 12 copies of The Value of Vision for myself and then always give them out to the point that currently I'm without one. But The Value of Vision is a collection of prayers of saints gone by that is very helpful uh, for us to look at. Is well-organized uh, prayers for the weekdays, prayers for the Sabbath, prayers for this, prayers for that. Not that we need to be always following a prayer book, the, the, the Puritans hated the Anglican prayer book, but it was more of a reactionary thing than, than, than necessarily theologically. But, but they can be helpful for us to learn. Uh, Joel Beakey and, uh, the other, and a co-author, his name I cannot pronounce. There's not enough vowels in the name for me to pronounce it. Um, so I, I don't know what his... But Joel Beakey wrote a book called uh, uh, Taking Hold of God, which is, is a collection of is learning to pray from the Puritan example. Lots of good models there as well. Fifthly, develop a system for your prayer lists. Um, so notice what's the assumption I'm making. If I say develop a system to your prayer list, what am I assuming? That you have a prayer list, right? And it's difficult to pray faithfully for a large spread of people and concerns you know, without developing prayer lists or prayer lists that help you remember them. Every week we have a church prayer list. Every week we have a PMU prayer list in the back of the church prayer list. Uh, organizations like Operation World, have you ever heard of Operation World? They, they take you through the world in praying for different needs, the persecuted church, missionaries, and so on. Um, you, you can use that as well. But it's also wise for you to prepare your own lists. Uh, a prayer notebook where you keep your prayers and answers as well. I keep, I have years of these in a stack, like physical stack. And every once in a while, maybe every eight weeks or ten weeks, I go over them to see the things we prayed about, remind me of people who have come and, have come and gone, to see the answers and so on. So, um, there are prayer apps, all kinds of good prayer apps you can use to prepare your lists. Uh, and in your list, you should include your family, your church, your work, any requests that you can think of there to help there. So develop a system for your prayer lists. Any questions or thoughts before we continue? All right. Sixthly, mingle praise, confession, and intercession. We're pretty good at the intercession, which is the request by what we're asking. And a lot of times we're interceding for ourselves, right? Which is not necessarily wrong. Uh, if you look at John 17, which is Jesus, which technically that's the true Lord's Prayer because the Lord praying at that time is not just giving a model. But if you look at what he does, he prays for himself. He prays for those closest to him. And he prays for those far further from him. The interesting thing is that the shortest amount of space spent is on praying for himself. 
So it's not wrong for us to pray for ourselves, but it's all that we do. We have an issue there. But mango praise, confession, and intercession. There might be prayer times when we focus on one of these. But generally, our prayers should include them all. Remember how we started by reading Matthew 6? And we have there what's traditionally called the Lord's Prayer. And even there, we find praise, we find adoration, we find confession, and we find intercession there. The Psalms are a great model for praying for us, uh, for praying um, to help us see. They illustrate the Lord's Prayer quite well. Um, just for an example, look at the Psalm chapter, the third Psalm, Psalm 3. Is this the first one that's actually a prayer? Um, as we think of prayers, it's a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. He says, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. What's that? What is David doing right there in verse 3? Is, is he... Now, of the three things that I have there on the, on the slide, he's praising, right? And he continues, I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. He's relating his intersection, his prayer, his request. I lay down and slept. I woke, for the Lord sustained me. Again, relating... The, there's a mix of praise as it relates to the Lord answering his intercession. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You, your blessing is all upon your people. So you have here a mixture of different categories of prayer in the same prayer, and that should be a characteristic of our own prayer. The next one is going to sound weird to you. Number seven. Work at your public prayers. Can you see that? Yeah. Work at your public prayers. But I said, but pastor, didn't we just read in Matthew 6 that the hypocrites are the ones that play aloud? Well, the point that Jesus is combating there, as I said earlier, is the praying in order to be heard by man. That they, that's their goal. They wanted to pray so that the people around them said, Wow, isn't he a great prayer? No, so deep, so eloquent, so beautiful. That's what Jesus is criticizing. Not necessarily prayer aloud in public. And this is especially important if you are an officer in the church. But everyone should do that. When we pray in public, we're not praying to the people around us. We're not trying to impress them, but we are trying to bless them through our prayers as well as reach the years of God. Are you with me on that one? Does that strike you as weird? Well, the basis for that is what Jesus does in John chapter 11, verses 41 and 42. Remember what's going on in John 11? It's the resurrection of Lazarus. Lazarus died. He waits four days before he goes to Bethany. And he goes to Bethany. The sisters come out. And, uh, um, oh Lord, if you were here, he would not have died. Well, he is going to come to life. Mary, uh, Martha says, I know. In the last days, he's going to be 
risen from the dead. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe in that? He walks to the tomb. And then what does he say? He says, well, eventually he says that. But first he says, Lord, I'm going to say this aloud, not because I need to say it aloud to you, but because I want these people around me to hear and be blessed by what I'm saying. And he goes on and prays aloud and then says, Lazarus, Lazarus, come, come forth. So our Lord Jesus himself says that there's an element in public prayer that is to bless the people around them. So to work on our private public prayers is a good thing so that we can bless people around around us. Does it make sense to you? Any questions on that? And then last one. Pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. What do I mean by that? Well, there are times that we might be saying words, but we're not really praying. You know, it takes, takes a few jargons before we actually get down to business in our praying. You know, we have all these things that we say that are somewhat rote, that we don't really uh, mean it, but we're just trying to get the jump start, you know, uh, the prayer car. Well, sometimes our hearts are not in it. So at those times, keep praying till you're actually engaged in what you're doing. Uh, the Puritans used to call it prayer, uh, prayerful praying. And it says, keep, keep praying till you storm the mercy seat of God. Till you come to the presence of God and you said, Lord, I'm not going to leave you till you bless me, like Jacob did. So I think these eight suggestions will be helpful. For us, they are not thus as the Lord. They are not things that you must do, otherwise you're sinning. But they are things that wise saints have practiced, and where we can also deduce from the scriptures. Let me end though with this uh, this first lesson with a with a with a very wise statement from J.I. Packer. There's one thing I don't quite agree with. I think you're going to get you're going to see it when we get to it. But I think overall, what he says about prayer and what he says about following patterns and so on is a, is a good thing. It says this, I start with the truism that each Christian's prayer life, like every good marriage, has in, common, has in it common factors about which one can generalize and also uniquenesses which no other Christian's prayer life will quite match. So let's stop here. What I was trying to do tonight is to generalize things that have worked for prayer warriors and things that are in the, you know, deduced from the scriptures. But there are uniqueness in all our prayer lives. So they're going to look different, and that is okay. Uh, he says, you are you, and I am I. And we must each find our own way with God, and there is no recipe for prayer that can work for us like a handyman's do-it-yourself manual or a cookery book. I'm, I'm assuming that's a cookbook said by a British person, where the claim is that if you follow the instructions, you can't go wrong. Now, he's assuming certain things, right? He's assuming that we're praying Christ. He's assuming that we have a common faith in Jesus Christ. These are all assumptions for him. He's not saying that anybody praying to any God doesn't matter. That's not what he's saying. He continues. He says, praying is not like carpentry or cookery. It is the active exercise of a personal relationship, a kind of friendship, with the living God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And the way it goes is more under divine control than under ours. 
Books on praying, like marriage manuals, are not to be treated with slavish superstition, as if perfection of technique is the answer to all difficulties. Their purpose, rather, is to suggest things to try. That's what we did tonight. Right? And then he finishes by saying, But as in other closed relationships, so in prayer, you have to find out by trial and error what is right for you, and you learn to pray by praying. Right? You you don't learn to pray by simply just reading books about prayer. You learn to pray by, by praying. Some of us talk more, others less. Some are constantly vocal, others cultivate silence before God as their way of adoration. Some slip into glossosalia, that's the part I don't agree, that's speaking in tongues. Others have a point of not slipping into it. Yet we may all be praying as God means us to do. The only rules are stay within biblical guidelines, and within those guidelines, as John Chapman puts it, pray as you can, and don't try to pray as you can't. So don't worry about what you can't do in prayer. Do what you can do in prayer, is uh, uh, Packer's final um, recommendation here. And that's what we're trying to do. I want to give you a model that is helpful, but each one of us is unique, and that might change. The point is, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you must pray. There's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't pray. That category doesn't exist in the Bible. It's like saying there's a human who doesn't breathe. No. Well, how do you call a human who doesn't breathe? A dead person, right? That, that's exactly the idea of a Christian who doesn't pray. We have a few minutes, and I'd love to hear some practical suggestions that you may have in your prayer life. Was that a hand, Jim? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny... So as a young believer, you benefited from hearing yeah. oh, mature saints praying yeah. as a model. Yeah. But you. Yeah. Any other practices that you might practice that might be helpful to share with everybody else? It's okay to say, Lord, I really don't want to pray, but out of obedience to you and submission to you, I come to you in prayer. You know, it's not the ideal condition of your heart, but that the Lord works with that. And, and, and as we pray, He shapes our heart to be more prayerful. Anything else? Scott? Um, your uh, suggestion for models um, is something that rings true with me. Um, public praying um, for me was spurred by my reading of General Stonewall Jackson and his journey of 
being terrible at speaking and praying in public mm -hmm. to I'm going to do it because I'm supposed to and not because I'm good at it until I'm better at it. And then I like to study um, the prayers in Scripture, like Daniel, and then mm -hmm. actually in the next couple weeks I'll be doing a study on the Lucan prayers, the theology of the attributes of God demonstrated by the prayers of his people and mm -hmm. Lucan Acts. And then I'm thinking of doing a, a larger study throughout Old Testament on the characteristics, the attributes of God through the prayers of his people. And so models are big to me. Yeah. All right. Adam. Uh, I think the other, another thing that's helped me is uh, the Acts prayer model, which is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So just ways to mm -hmm. kind of think about different buckets of ideas and, and concepts to work through. Also, the idea that there are three things. There are three areas to pray through before you get to supplication. Sometimes mm -hmm. be a good reminder that it's not just about shouting out what I've got. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, and generally that should be our pattern, right? There are those times where we need to just shoot up a prayer right away, and then if we get too legalistic about our models, then we're going to find ourselves and then so that we can get to our the thing that we really want to get to, right? But yeah, the X model is is a is a good. Uh, John Piper has another model, but I can't remember what the initials are. The, the, the word that comes to mind is apicac, but that, isn't that the throw-up medicine or whatever? <laughs> but I think something like that. So that, that just goes for uh, whatever it is that he does uh, there as well. Darren. Yes. Yes. If you don't do it in the morning, Darren says, for him, is unlikely he would do other times a day for whatever other reasons. So uh, at our house, both him and I do our personal devotions and our prayer, personal prayers in the morning. And then we pray together at night. But those prayers at night can be very short as well. And sometimes you're just saying, I, I, I need to hear the amen. I need to hear the amen. I can't fall asleep before the amen, and sometimes you don't quite uh, you know, follow the prayers. But uh, there's something to be said about book, book ending your days in prayer as well. So the, and, and there is something about you know, uh, drifting to sleep in prayer. I'm not saying that you should do that Sunday morning in church or Sunday afternoon, but in the night when you're in bed ready to go to drift to sleep, in prayer as well in the presence uh, of the Lord. So you can see that there are all kinds of way, ways to pray and to pray, to pray prayerful prayers and to be honoring to the Lord and to have that communion with Him that, was, that weren't even mentioned in our lesson tonight. And, and, um, so it's like playground. The, go explore the playground of prayer and have a, a closer fellowship with your God. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have uh, invited us to come into your presence to, in, in prayer. We thank you that the throne that once was a throne of judgment now is a throne of grace because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you even tell us to come with confidence, knowing that every prayer that's brought in the name of Jesus will be answered by you. We thank you for the sweetness of the communion that we can have in prayer as your spirit is in communion with our spirit. And we pray, Father, that uh, you would enable us to be a prayerful people, a people who live our lives before you, and that's signified by the way we pray. We pray that uh, you would give us a great desire to, to pray.
and that we would be responsible and take hold of this great gift that you've given to us. Now we pray that you dismiss us with your blessings. For us in Jesus' name, amen.